Uh, well, as you know, we're in a series uh, called The Emotionally Healthy Church. It's inspired by a book by Pete Scazzaro with the same title. I would highly recommend it for all of you. Um, it kind of goes through all the principles that we've been talking about the last few weeks in greater detail. Um, to be honest, it's been very uncomfortable for me to preach this series personally because uh, it's revealed a lot of things going on in my own heart that have come to the surface, especially these past few months. Uh, but because of that, uh, it's been an absolute game changer for me. Uh, my wife, Carol, who is also on this Zoom chat, uh, will tell you that the way we communicate with each other and express ourselves has completely changed in the past few weeks as a result of what we're learning about ourselves through this series. Uh, and this is ultimately what the gospel should do. It shouldn't just give us head knowledge. Uh, it needs to change the way we relate to the people around us. It needs to change the way we respond to conflict and make decisions in our lives. And I really think uh, this series is so timely for us as a church uh, because we're all in a season of life. We're in a year where you really can't run from your emotions anymore. You know, there's something about this quarantine. There's something about spending more time than ever with our families and with our own thoughts, with everything going on in our world, with race and politics, where whether we like it or not, we're all having to deal with our emotional junk. And I'm telling you, uh, you can be a seasoned parent. You can have multiple degrees under your belt. You can manage hundreds of people and you can still be an emotional infant. And part of this is because from a young age, we've been trained to avoid getting into our feelings, right? We've heard that emotions are fickle. We've heard that our emotions aren't real. Our emotions should be suppressed. And yet there's nothing in the Bible that would lead us to believe this uh, because Jesus, we know, was the most fully human person to ever walk the earth, and yet he was absolutely in tune with his emotions, okay? And so we're going to get into the fourth principle of emotional health today, uh, and I'm going to be honest, of all the principles we've covered so far, this is definitely the one that I, I probably struggle with the most, and it's receiving the gift of limits, Okay, and I want you to pay attention to the language there because we typically think of limits as something restrictive or something we need to overcome. You know, how many of us on the Zoom chat have said, if I just had a little more time, if I just didn't have to take care of my parents, if I just didn't have kids, if COVID just never happened, if my spouse were just a bit more supportive, like there are all these limits placed on all placed on us all the time, and we see them typically as roadblocks to where we're trying to go, but part of emotional health is seeing those limits not as hurdles to overcome, but as gifts to be received, okay? But now let me tell you why this is so hard. Um, this past week, I was watching an episode of Ugly Delicious on Netflix. Uh, it's a show where David Chang, who's a famous chef, uh, founder of multiple restaurants, travels the world, explores how different foods are made and how they've evolved. But the particular episode I was watching was one where David Chang is actually getting ready to be a dad for the first time. And he visits uh, fellow chefs who are parents and talks to them about how they juggled work and parenting. Because uh, if you're a chef or you, you've ever worked in the restaurant business, you know how grueling those hours are. You know how difficult it is for you to have a normal family life. Um, and one of the people David Chang visits is Nancy Silverton, who's a, who's a legend in the LA food world, uh, co-owner of Moza and Chispaca, founder of La Brea Bakery. And she's basically, there's a scene when she's telling David Chang how she did it. And this is what she says. 
Uh, she would bake from midnight to 8 a.m. every more every day, and then run home covered in flour, pack her kids lunch, immediately go to sleep for three hours, wake up, go back to work, get the cook set for that day, make desserts, go home, take another short nap, come back to work, plate desserts for the evening, go back home around 10 p.m., take another two-hour nap, and then wake up at midnight and then do the whole thing all over again, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but I was watching that and I was literally having a minor panic attack uh, because one, that just sounds insane, and two, you just feel so weak. Like, if she can do it, uh, I should be able to do it. Like, if she can start multiple businesses and raise three kids at the same time, why am I drowning with two kids? Like, maybe I just need to be stronger. Maybe I'm not doing something correctly. And here's the problem. These are the stories that our culture holds up as models to follow. You literally take the .0001% of people in this world who are wildly talented and successful, you blast them on social media so everyone can see, and they become the standard for what a meaningful life looks like, right? These are the images we're seeing every day. These are the images our kids are seeing. And after a while, one of two things will happen. Either we will just fake it, and we will just project uh, a fake version of ourselves for other people that is not based on reality at all. Or two, we will just get crushed. Because seeing those images, reading those stories, make us feel insecure. We start to look at our own lives and we wonder why we can't be like that person or that person. We start playing the comparison game. We start measuring ourselves against these unrealistic expectations. And now you have an entire generation of people killing themselves to chase an ideal that doesn't exist, trying to be someone they were never meant to be, okay? As a society, uh, we've kind of become this group of people that just can't accept the fact that maybe, just maybe, that life you're chasing was never your life to live. And I know that can sound really pessimistic because all of us grew up in the era of participation trophies, like everyone's a winner, everyone is awesome. We were told we could be anything we wanted as long as we put our minds to it. You know, like uh, I have a book on my kid's bookshelf called The Little Engine That Could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I'm sorry, uh, that book lied to us, okay? Just because you think you can doesn't mean you can, okay? I was watching uh, the movie Ratatouille this week with my daughter Avery, and there's a line in there that uh, the chef Gusto says. He says, don't let anyone define your limits. Your only limit is your soul. Anyone can cook, okay? That's not true. Some people can't cook. No matter how much they try, they can't cook. It's not in them, okay? I don't care what you say. No matter how much I think I can be an NFL player, I will never be an NFL player, okay? I have small bones. I have weak legs. I have weak hips, okay? It's not in my genetic makeup to play professional football. If you have a friend who is completely tone deaf and they say it's been uh, his or her dream to be on American Idol, don't let them try out. You're not being a good friend. You're not uh, doing them any favors. You're being a bad friend because we were all born with limitations. 
And the Bible talks about this as well, okay? Like, are we all created in the image of God? Are we all equally worthy of dignity and respect? Absolutely. Do we all have the same lot in life? Are we all given the same talents, capacities, personality, life experiences? No. And Jesus talks about this in the parable of the talents. He says, some get five, some get two, some get one. And he says, each according to his ability. Well, uh, you say, well, that's not fair. Well, it depends by whose standards you're judging your life. Because it's not fair if you believe a full, meaningful human existence is being the most beautiful, popular person in the world or being the best in your industry. Yeah, of course. If you think that that's what a full life is, it's not fair because if, because you know, you're right, there will always be someone better than you. But if you use Jesus as the standard, it's a completely different story because Jesus had a pretty bad lot in life. He was born to a poor family, blue collar worker, didn't have many friends. The prime of his career, like when he was actually performing miracles and doing ministry was three years. That's shorter than most startups last in LA, okay? Jesus did not do any miracles for the first 30 years of his life. I want you to think about that. He is the son of God, okay? He is God in the flesh, and he did not do any miracles for the first 30 years of his life. He didn't travel the world. He didn't evangelize to every nation. Most of his life was spent in one neighborhood being a faithful son and a faithful participant in his community and his synagogue. Jesus embraced his limits. And if we use Jesus as the standard, then all of us have more than enough to live a full, meaningful life. Okay? The problem is we all want to live someone else's life and we forget to live our own. Okay, Schizero in his book references this old Hasidic story where you have this rabbi, Rabbi Zusa, who says, In the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zusa? You see, we spend our entire lives scrolling through our feeds, thinking about what we could be, lamenting what we're not, all while failing to be who we are. And then we say, there aren't enough hours in the day. I wish I had more time. I wish I wasn't tied down to my family. But maybe it's meant to be that way. Okay, and now the text we're looking at today is a really great one because uh, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 3 because John the Baptist is someone who understood and embraced his limitations. And we're going to use the life of John the Baptist today to unpack what receiving the gift of limits look, looks like. Okay, and if you're taking notes, uh, receiving the gift of limits consists of three things. And these are going to be the three points. Number one, embracing what you can't do. Number two, embracing what you're called to do. And number three, embracing the one who calls you, okay? Embracing what you can't do, embracing what you're called to do, and embracing the one who calls you, okay? So if you have your Bibles or if you're on a laptop or on a phone, you can look this up really quick, but we're going to look at uh, John chapter 3, verses 22 to 27. I'm going to give you a moment to turn with me there. John 3, verses 22 to 27. This is the reading of God's word. 
After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. I love this passage so much. Uh, let me give some context here because it's really important. For those of you who don't know who John the Baptist is, he was the precursor to Jesus. In fact, a lot of people thought he was Jesus. And here in John 3, this is almost the last we'll hear from John the Baptist before he's taken away to be arrested and beheaded. And what's happening here is that up to this point, John the Baptist is the hottest influencer in town. Okay, He has lots of fans and lots of followers, but all of a sudden there's this new guy on the scene, Jesus. Okay, and back in John 1, there's this interesting moment when John the Baptist is hanging out with his disciples. He sees Jesus walking by and he says, look, the Lamb of God. And it says immediately his disciples left John and followed Jesus. Okay, I want you to think about that. Okay, think about how that would have made John the Baptist feel. All the work he's put in to get, get to where he's at. He has these disciples who've dedicated their lives to follow him. And then without batting an eye, his disciples just abandon him for this other guy. Okay. And I know, especially here in LA, we know this feeling very well, right? Where it seems like every day there's a new it person. And so we hold on to our followers and our fame and our wealth for dear life. I mean, you see it all the time. You see people kicking and screaming to stay relevant, to stay on top. Not John, though. And what's happening here in John 3 is that now John's numbers are really dwindling. Jesus' numbers and his crowds are getting bigger and bigger. And John's remaining disciples come up to him and they say, look, Look at that guy over there. Everyone is going to him. What are you going to do about it? And John says, nothing. In fact, this is what he says in verse 27. And if you forget everything from this sermon, this is the verse you should remember. And this is the verse you should say to yourself every morning when you get up. John says, a person can receive only what is given to him from heaven. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. I'm limited in what I can do and what I can be, and I can only receive what God has given me to do and nothing else. Like, we need to hear that today. Now, how did John the Baptist get to this point, and how do we get there? Okay? And again, it starts with number one, embracing what we can't do. Okay? Embracing what we can't do. You know, it's really interesting, in both John chapter 1 and here in John chapter 3, John the Baptist defines himself not by who he is, but by who he's not. Okay? The, he, you know, in John 1, when the Jewish leaders asked John who he was, you know, the first thing out of his mouth is, I'm not the Messiah. 
I'm not the Messiah. Like imagine someone asked you to introduce yourself and the first thing you said was, I'm not an artist. I'm not married. Right? We typically introduce ourselves with who we are, not by who we're not. But this is what John says. He doesn't start with what school he went to. He doesn't start with his pedigree or his achievements. He starts with what he's not. And they keep asking him, well, are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He says, I'm not. And they start getting upset because he won't tell them who he is. And yet this is John being completely comfortable in his own skin. He says, I know what I'm not. I know what my limitations are, okay? But here's what most of us do. We can't embrace our limitations, so we make excuses. We give disclaimers. Ah, yeah, I could have definitely been a managing director by the time I was 32 if I just didn't have kids. Ah, yeah, I could have probably stayed at the company longer if I had a better boss. And we're scared to say, maybe that was never our life to live. Maybe those limits were placed in our lives not to hinder us, but to protect and to guide us. And that takes a lot of courage to be able to say. And Scazzaro in his book gives some helpful principles as to how we take inventory of ourselves to embrace what we can't do. He says, number one, look at your personality. Are you extroverted or introverted? Are you spontaneous or creative? Are you controlled or orderly? Are you easygoing or anxious? Right? Because not everyone is meant to be a teacher. And we all, we all realize that, especially during this season, right? Not everyone is meant to be a teacher. And that's okay. Not everyone is meant to be a CEO. And that's okay. Okay? So number one, look at your personality. Two, look at your season in life. Are you a parent with young kids? Are you a student? Are you in transition? Okay, and these things, oftentimes we see them as shackles, but believe it or not, perhaps these are God-given limits. Okay, and number three, look at your emotional, physical, and intellectual capacities. Like, what are you good at? Some of us are more relational. Some of us are more strategic. Like the way that I lead, my team will tell you, is 100% relational. I am horrible when it comes to coming up with a strategic vision and then laying out a step-by-step process on how to execute that vision. That is not how I'm wired. Does this mean I can't grow in this area? Of course not. But I think early on, I used to look at leaders like Steve Jobs, you know, these guys who could walk into a boardroom, lay out a strategic vision and get a standing ovation. And I used to say, why can't I be like that? You know, why, why is it so hard for me? And I spent so much time trying to be a leader that I'm not. And my guess is that for a lot of us, the reason we're so restless, the reason we always feel like there's so much more to do and so little time, is because we're trying to be someone we're not, or at least can't be in this season of our lives. Like you parents out there, I'm sure you guys are wondering, how am I gonna do virtual learning for my kids, do what I need to do for work, keep my house clean, cook meals, you can't. You can't. And unless you embrace the reality that you can't do it the way you want to, you will kill yourself trying. You will say yes to every invitation, every request, every need, convincing yourself that you are limitless, but we all know everyone reaches their limit. Okay, and trust me, I am preaching this to myself because I always think, I can do it. If I try harder, put in a little bit more effort, I can do it. 
And I can tell you this from personal experience, you do yourself and your loved ones no favors by becoming a martyr. You will burn out and then you will resent everyone around you for not helping you. Okay, like you guys know, at the beginning of this quarantine, we started a daily podcast called Citizens Once a Day. This was when I thought the quarantine was going to last 15 days. So I thought max uh, 15 episodes and I was committed to keeping it going for as long as the quarantine lasted. Uh, By the time we got to like episode 44, uh, my wife and my staff were like, "Uh, yo, it's okay to take a break. And I said, no, 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 I can do it. You know, and they said, no, no, you can't. Uh, Because this quarantine is going to last a lot longer than we think. And they said, why don't you take a break at episode 50 and then we can come back later if we want. And that limit placed on me was really hard to digest. Like it felt like I had failed. Well, literally the day after we recorded episode 50, the video of George Floyd surfaced, which pretty much rocked our church, rocked our city and our nation. And I know that if I had been doing that podcast at that time, I would not have had the bandwidth or the capacity to walk with our church through this. And that wouldn't have been possible unless I had embraced that limitation placed on me. Okay. So number one, just embrace what you can't do. Number two, embrace what you're called to do. Okay. Now, if we learn anything from John the Baptist's life, it's that understanding what you can't do actually helps you more readily receive what you're called to do. In John chapter one, after the Jewish leaders keep pressing John the Baptist to tell them who he is, after a while, he finally says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. He's basically saying, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophets. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. My role in this life is to be a voice and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And in that same scene, the Pharisees who had been sent to find out more about him, they ask him, well, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? And John tells them, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows me, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandal. Because John the Baptist has embraced what he's not, when the Pharisees question how and why he's doing what he's doing, John doesn't waver. He's able to stand firm in what he can do and what he's called to do. He's able to say no to the things he needs to say no to and yes to the things he's actually call do. Like when I have embraced that I'm not going to be like the greatest strategic leader and I'm a relational leader. And then someone from the outside asks me, why do you waste so much time talking to your church members on the phone or on zoom? Like you should spend more time reading and planning and strategizing. I don't have to be insecure about that. I can be confident in the way God has wired me to lead. When I have embraced the fact that I have two young children who need constant attention, and then I look at other pastors out there who are guest preaching for this conference and that conference, traveling to different cities, I don't have to be insecure. I can be confident that in this season of my life, my kids are not hindering me from my calling. They are not a limitation that I need to overcome. They are a limit to be received as a gift. Because perhaps what God wants me to be more than anything right now is a faithful dad. Okay, I'm telling you, it is so freeing 
when you're finally able to receive your limitations as a gift because it allows you to embrace what you're actually called to do. And ironically, everyone I know who's been able to do this is living in far more freedom than those who are still trying to do everything and be everywhere for everyone. Like that is the definition of bondage, okay? Now, I wanna make a quick caveat. When I, ins- when I say embrace what you're called to do, I'm not saying let's just embrace the things we're good at, okay? No musician comes out of the womb playing music. It takes years of practice and training and honing, and so there's a difference between limits and potential. Okay? Some of y'all have no time and you're limited in your ability to do anything, but if you actually mapped out your schedule, you spend eight hours a day on Netflix. That's not a limit. Okay? That's wasting your God-given potential. Okay? When I say embrace what you're called to do, I'm talking about taking inventory of how you're wired, of your successes, of your failures, of your passions, and your natural gifts, asking your community to speak into your life and tell you what they see in you, and most importantly, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal what He wants you to do and what He doesn't want you to do. And I guarantee you, as you begin to do this, you will begin to start seeing opportunities to live into your calling. You will see the people God has placed right in front of you to love and to serve. You will see career moves that you never imagined would be possible. You will find greater peace in the ordinary things of life. And you will be able to say with confidence, a person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. Okay? So number one, embrace what you can't do. Number two, uh, embrace what you're called to do. And finally, embracing the one who calls you. Uh, You know, trying to live a life without limits, with no boundaries, constantly pushing yourself to be better, to do more beyond what you're capable of doing, can be one of the most exhausting, life-sucking endeavors we can do. Because we were not created to be limitless beings. Okay, try to drive a car past empty, and at some point, it will die. That car was not meant to drive forever. And in our series through the book of Genesis, you remember we talked about the fact that in the beginning, before sin ever entered the world, there were limits. God didn't place limits there because we were deficient or sinful or because we needed to be punished or restrained. Like, why did God put that tree in the garden and tell Adam and Eve not to eat from it? Why did he put that limitation in the story? And really, it's to remind us that he's God. He's the potter. We are the clay. He's infinite. We are finite. And God was saying, will you trust me that I know what's good for you? Will you live under the limits I have set for you? Will you embrace your humanity and receive my grace? Or will you try to be your own God? And we know how that story goes because it's the story all of us are living right now. Like when we can't embrace our limits, what we're saying is we want to be our own God that we don't need to depend on anyone or anything, that we can will anything we desire just by our own strength. But friends, that road leads to destruction and devastation. It leads to a life of anxiety and worry and jealousy, and we all know that so well. But here's what God does for us in the gospel. Because we tried to substitute ourselves for God, God had to substitute himself for us. And the way he did that was that he took on our limitations. He became a man and he willingly embraced the limits that came with being human. 
Like if you remember when the devil tempts him in the desert and says, you're powerful, feed yourself, turn this stone into bread. Could Jesus have done it? Absolutely. Does he do it? No. He places himself under human limitations so that he can live the life you and I could not live. And on the cross, Jesus places himself where all of us deserve to be placed under the wrath of God. And he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders so that you and I wouldn't have to carry it on our own. So that you and I wouldn't have to be crushed by our limitations. So that you and I don't have to be the saviors of our families or our marriages or our company or this church. And this is such good news for us, especially here in LA, especially as we navigate 2020. Like COVID-19 has been one big fat limitation placed on our lives. It has limited everything. Interaction with people, events, weddings, bridal showers, businesses, church gatherings, even the fact that we have to meet like this on Zoom. This is a limitation. But friends, in the gospel, we can receive these limits not with fear or worry or doubt, but we can receive these limits with open arms because they thrust us into the arms of Jesus. And they remind us daily that we belong to a good father who knows what we need and has a specific calling for each and every one of us in this season of our lives. Um, you know, I was talking to one of my close friends this week who is probably one of the best chefs, if not the best chef I know. And for years, he ran a successful restaurant in LA. And then one day, on a dime, he decided to shut that restaurant down and pivot his business into something more sustainable for his family. Because he had young kids at the time who just didn't get to spend any time with their dad. And this past week, I asked him, do you have any regrets? Because to be a chef in and of itself takes so much time and effort. And then to create something people love, especially in a huge food town like LA, is like one in a million. Do you ever look back at that decision and do you regret that decision? And without batting an eye, he said, absolutely not. He said, I was able to develop relationships I never could have if I stayed in that lifestyle. He said, my kids now had their dad back. And even when people tell me how much they missed that restaurant, it doesn't really make me want to go back. Now, did he have the ability to keep going? No question. Did he have the momentum to keep going? No question. Did that decision change the trajectory of his career? Probably. But in that season of his life, he received his limits as a gift. And when I look at that, I don't see a person who was restricted or bound, I see freedom. The freedom to let go. The freedom to say no. The freedom to embrace the call God has placed on his life. Now, I don't tell this story to say that this should be everyone's pathway because everyone is given different limits and different capacities in different seasons. But I tell this story to remind us that as believers, we don't have to be bound to the blueprint society gives us for what a good life is supposed to look like. We can stop trying to be what everyone else around us wants us to be, to do what everyone around us, what everyone around us is doing, and simply rest in the work Jesus has already done. 
Emotional health is living our lives knowing that the same God who sent his only son to die for us is the same God who holds our lives in the palm of his hands. And in light of that, receiving our limits as a gift given to guide us and to protect us and to ultimately make us more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word today, and we thank you um, for our limitations. We thank you that in Christ, you redeem our humanity. God, so many of us, we wish we had more hours in the day. We feel so limited by the circumstances in our lives. We feel so limited by our, our gift sets or our capacities and our talents. And sometimes that burden is so crushing, especially in a wor world where it seems like everyone is killing it. Everyone is so successful and everyone is living their best life. But God, we pray that today we would rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that allows us, that gives us the freedom to embrace our limitations as a gift of grace, to embrace our humanness as a gift of grace, to embrace the fact that we don't live according to our own strength and our own effort. We live according to your strength. We live according to what you've done. We live according to your finished work. And so God, help us to rest today. Help us to be comforted by that truth. Uh, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for this community of believers that you've given us. Uh, my heart is so full, even just seeing all the people on this Zoom chat uh, who showed up today uh, to gather to worship you. We just ask that you continue to protect, to guide us. And uh, yeah, we just thank you and we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.